The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. And I want to start by welcoming the decisive action announced by our new Prime Minister to halt rising energy bills. This vital support will save families £1,000 on their bills, on top of the £37 billion of help that's already been announced. And I'm sure the whole chamber will welcome the measures from the UK government to support people and businesses across the country right now. First Minister, yesterday your government announced £560 million of cuts. The cost of living crisis means difficult decisions for governments all over the country. But do you now regret that so much money was wasted on ferries that haven't been built, a scandal that so far cost taxpayers £250 million when that money could have been used to address the cost of living crisis? First Minister. Uh, Firstly, Presiding Officer, can I also uh, take the opportunity to welcome the very belated uh, action on energy bills that the new Prime Minister has just announced in the House of Commons. I have not yet seen all of the detail, but I am aware of the headline. Uh, but while I welcome it, can we also be very clear, uh, Presiding Officer, it does not represent a halt to the rise in energy bills. Uh, average energy bills right now are uh, just under £2,000. Uh, a cap of £2,500 will still pay, uh, see people pay more for their energy. And of course, if we go back to the spring of this year, uh, average energy bills were around £1,200. So people are seeing soaring energy costs uh, because of a broken energy market and the utter incompetence of this UK government. So, uh, and lastly, on that issue, um, as things stand, all of the costs of what uh, has been announced today are going to fall on consumers and taxpayers. Yep. Uh, when oil and gas companies making windfall profits should be making a contribution. So I think we can see whose side uh, the UK government is on today. <laughs> Secondly, presiding officer, yes, the deputy first minister uh, outlined savings uh, that are having to be made in. The Scottish Government's budget this year. Let me remind the purpose of those savings. Firstly, so that we can ensure that public sector workers get the fairest possible pay rises. And secondly, uh, that we continue to target resources uh, to those who need the most in this cost of living uh, crisis. Uh, so that is the backdrop, a budget this year that because of inflation is worth £1.7 billion less than it was when we published it. So the other thing we need to see the new Prime Minister uh, do is increase funding for devolved administration so we can support public services and public sector workers. Uh, and lastly, Presiding Officer, uh, no, I don't regret the actions this government uh, took to save Ferguson's shipyard um, and to ensure that those working there still have a job. That is important. And of course, we will continue to take action to ensure that the two ferries are completed um, and that work continues. Well, there we have it. It's official. Nicola Sturgeon doesn't regret wasting £250 million of taxpayers' money when that money is needed right now to help our services. Because if her government hadn't wasted a quarter of a billion pounds trying and failing to build ferries, that money could have been used elsewhere in the SNP's budget. 
These failures leave islanders without lifeline services, and they take money away from the frontline spending we need here in Scotland. We know that nearly £50 million of emergency COVID support went to fix these ferries instead of going to the businesses who needed it. An internal analysis by the ferry operator CMAL has indicated that the number and the severity of the issues and faults with these ships means that it will be, to quote them, difficult for the vessels to achieve acceptance by CMAL and enter into service. So what plans does the First Minister have in place if, as the experts fear may be the case, these vessels never become fit to sail and more money needs to be diverted away from the cost of living crisis to make up for these failures? First Minister. Firstly, Presiding Officer, uh, what Douglas Ross has just said about COVID money uh, being directed uh, to Ferguson's is simply not uh, true. And he should, I think, uh, take the opportunity to reflect on that and withdraw that. That uh, misunderstanding uh, came uh, from the name of a particular budget line. It did not reflect how uh, money had been allocated. And I believe, although if I'm wrong on this... If I'm wrong on this, uh, media sources have already corrected uh, that, so yeah. perhaps Douglas Ross wants uh, to reflect further on that. Uh, secondly, on the issues around ferries, I have made uh, clear on many occasions my regret at the cost overrun of that. That is why it is so important we continue to focus on completing uh, the ferries. Uh, but even if we took Douglas Ross at his word about £250 million, which of course wouldn't be in one year, um, that would still leave uh, the rest of the £1.7 billion that her budget has been eroded by because of inflation soaring out of control under this UK government. It would still leave us with the £700 million uh, that we have had to allocate unbudgeted uh, for higher pay deals because of the soaring inflation being presided over by this uh, UK government. So we'll continue to take the hard decisions to get support to where it is needed most. Uh, of course, uh, one of the pressures on all construction projects right now is inflation, uh, which this UK government is failing to get under control. But we will continue to focus on making sure uh, the ferries now are completed uh, on the revised budget and on the revised timeline. Douglas Ross. I mean... Oh, yes. Oh, well done. Well done. Muted applause there because, of course, the First Minister did her usual thing to blame Westminster for everything, but not actually address the Sorry, question Mr. that Mr. I Sorry, Mr Ross, I will not have members shouting at one another from a sedentary position. Please just resist the temptation. Mr Ross. Well, I hope the Deputy First Minister does resist that temptation, although he seems to do it quite a lot, because he doesn't want to hear what members are saying. The First Minister's answer was all about what the UK Government have done wrong. Nothing about what CMAL are saying about these ships may never enter service. All that money, hundreds of millions of pounds yep. that could be wasted. And today, the First Minister's former right-hand man, the disgraced Derek Mackay, appeared before a Scottish Parliament committee to discuss the ferry scandal. A scandal that has hit Scottish public finances and where we still don't know why the government made the disastrous call yep. they did. At the Public Audit Committee today, the ex-finance minister outlined what he believes went wrong with these contracts before we understand he was smuggled out of this building by Parliament officials. So does the First Minister agree with all of the evidence that Derek Mackay gave today? 
First Minister. I have not had the opportunity to look at all of the evidence that Derek Mackay gave to the committee. I'm sure I will take the opportunity to do that as soon as I'm able to. And then Douglas Ross, I'm sure, will come back and ask me more about this. But Douglas Ross keeps quoting Seamal and saying that Seamal's view is that the ferries will never be in service. So let me quote the chief executive of Seamal, Kevin Hobbs, just in June. And I'm quoting directly here. There is not much now which is standing in the way of both of them being delivered. There are a lot of detractors out there saying rather spurious things about them, uh, but we've always had a view that both would be finished. Now, I wouldn't suggest that the detractors out there saying rather spurious things was a reference to Douglas Ross. Others, of course, may reach that conclusion. <laughs> Question number two, Anna Sarwa. Oh. Like it, but CMAL have said that the number and the severity of faults may lead to the fact that these ships never sail. So, if the First Minister doesn't want to hear it, that's fine, but that's coming from CMAL. But it seems she doesn't like to hear a lot of things. It's amazing, just amazing, how often Nicola Sturgeon has never seen or never heard anything that is potentially a difficult question. But we know there was significant evidence given by Derek Mackay today. But during uh, the First Minister's recent run at the Edinburgh Fringe, she said the disastrous ferry contracts weren't a scandal. Well, this is where we saw the First Minister during the summer, and she said the ferry contracts weren't a scandal. Her words at the Edinburgh Fringe were, well, I'll wait for the SNP to be quiet, because I think it's important everyone hears this. The First, Minister, the First Minister's words were this has not been a scandal with the ferries. It's a situation, a situation. £250 million up in smoke, nothing to show for it. If that's not a scandal, I don't know what is. But today, even disgraced Derek Mackay accepted that the purchase of these ferries was catastrophic. That's the bit maybe Nicola Sturgeon didn't see today. Her former loyal lieutenant admitting how awful this mistake was, even though it further ruins his already trashed reputation. So why can't Nicola Sturgeon admit that this is a downright scandal that is taking hundreds of millions of pounds away from tackling the cost of living crisis that we are facing here in Scotland right now? First Minister. Firstly, I'm happy uh, to answer any questions on this. I've answered many questions on this and I've made my views uh, very clear uh, on this. But Douglas Ross doesn't like it when he quotes CMAL and I quote the Chief Executive saying uh, the exact opposite. So perhaps he should uh, be less, uh, less selective uh, in that. But on the... On, on the wider issues, Douglas Ross has stood up here and I think it is quite staggering and says there's nothing to show uh, for the investment in Ferguson's shipyard. Um, I don't know about a Conservative, but I think almost 400 jobs uh, does not equate to nothing to show. Uh, we value uh, people's jobs and we take action wherever we can to protect people's jobs and that is perhaps the difference between this government and the Conservatives. We'll continue to focus on the job at hand. Uh, that is what people expect uh, of us and I will uh, happily answer any questions for as long as Douglas Ross wants to ask questions on this issue. Uh, but I suspect uh, Douglas Ross's choice of topic today is more a, a reflection on his own difficulties than anything else. Uh, after all, it's not me that started this new parliamentary term with 
One MSP standing down from his front bench and another MSP quitting Parliament altogether. So perhaps he's not got his own troubles to seek. Now we move to question number two, Anna Sarwar. Officer, the cost of living crisis is a national emergency. Therefore, I welcome that we have finally seen action from the UK Government, but I do not believe it goes far enough. Let's be clear, this is not a freeze. Energy prices will still be going up for households across the country. And there is not enough support for businesses and charities. And there is no meaningful windfall tax, meaning households and businesses will pay in the long term, not companies who are making record profits. Moving to the action that the Scottish Government can take, I welcome the commitment to a rent freeze and a winter eviction ban. This is long overdue, but I think it needs to go further. So can I ask the First Minister, when will the legislation be brought to Parliament? Given the majority of social rents will rise on April 1st, will she extend the freeze to cover this period? Will she commit to a review towards the end of the freeze with an option to extend if necessary? And to avoid a sharp hike when the freeze is lifted, will she commit that a rent regulator will be in place in order to cap any future rises? First Minister. Uh, so firstly, the emergency legislation will be introduced uh, very soon. Uh, we haven't yet determined the date for that, but we need to introduce it soon uh, because Parliament needs to act at pace to pass that. We want uh, that legislation uh, to be passed uh, within three months uh, so that the freeze I announced uh, was effective uh, from uh, that date. So that will happen at pace and I would encourage all members to engage uh, very constructively with the detail uh, of that. Uh, as all members will be aware, it's important that we get legislation uh, right to ensure that if there are any legal challenges to it, it has the best uh, possible chance of withstanding those. Uh, secondly, uh, yes, I will uh, commit to an ongoing review of the emergency legislation. Uh, we have said very clearly that we intend uh, the two proposals uh, that I announced on Tuesday, the rent freeze and the moratorium on evictions to be in place until at least the end of March. Uh, and we will review that uh, regularly. And of course, we will keep open the option of extending uh, that further, depending on the wider situation. And lastly, uh, I also said this on Tuesday, uh, these are by definition, because they are emergency measures, temporary. How temporary uh, they prove to be will depend um, on the reviews that I have just uh, spoken about. But they are intended to to pave the way for longer term reforms, uh, to bring greater affordability to the rented sector, particularly to the private rented sector, um, and to give greater protections uh, to tenants. So the wider issues uh, that Anna Sarwar has raised today will fully be taken into account in that longer term work. Anna Sarwar. Uh, I welcome that response uh, from the First Minister. We will engage proactively with the legislation, uh, and the sooner we can do that, taking into account the legal complexities, uh, the better. Uh, we will continue to push for the freeze to cover the 1st of April because that will give people uh, certainty. We welcome the agreement to uh, review with a view to extending as an, as an option. And I would again push the First Minister on implementing a rent regulator so we can make sure there is not excessive increases when the freeze uh, is finally lifted. Uh, but rents are not the only costs uh, that are rising. We have been calling for a rent freeze uh, since June, but we've also been calling for a reduction in rail fares since April. In the summer, the SNP published a document outlining what actions European countries were taking in the face of the cost of living crisis. In that document, they included examples from Germany, Spain and Ireland, who have all cut rail fares. Scotrail is now in public ownership. The decision on rail fares is for this government. 
So will the First Minister commit to Labour's plan for having rail fares, which could save commuters up to £130 a month? First Minister. Well, again, let, let me take uh, two aspects of that issue. And uh, what I'm about to say, uh, I, I intend to be constructive, and I would invite Labour uh, to engage constructively on both of these points. We have uh, confirmed, uh, as I uh, did on Tuesday, a freeze in ScotRail fares until the end of March. The Deputy First Minister uh, said yesterday that we will be considering, in the context of our emergency budget review, extending that further. And we will also consider, in the context of that emergency budget review, uh, not just on rail fares, but on a whole range of other areas where we can go further to help people with the cost of living uh, crisis. Uh, but it is important, uh, not just important, it is inevitable and essential that it is done in the context of that budget review. I set out very starkly, as did the Deputy First Minister yesterday, the realities of our uh, budget position. Uh, £1.7 billion pounds, uh, less, uh, so it is worth it, than when we published it. Uh, increasing pressures from public sector pay, uh, from uh, the, the costs of housing Ukrainians, for example, which none of us grudge at all. Uh, we can't raise taxes uh, within a financial year. We can't borrow for day-to-day -day spending and all of our reserves are already allocated. So if we want to spend more on anything, we have to find other places in our budget to take that from. That process started yesterday. So I, I say in all sincerity to Anna Sarwar, we will consider in good faith any suggestion that is made, but any suggestion that involves more spending in this financial year has to come yeah. with a saving from elsewhere. So I would encourage Anna Sarwar to engage on that part as well. Anna Sarwar. Again, thank the First Minister for, for that answer. I think we need to go further uh, than a freeze. To be clear, getting more passengers on our railways actually potentially makes money uh, for our railways. Also, it helps us confront not just the cost of living crisis, but also the climate crisis. If we can change that pattern of behaviour, get people out of vehicles and into uh, our railways. So I would push the First Minister to be bolder and more ambitious, because this is not a time for uh, timidity or for delay. Uh, our Emergency Cost of Living Act included a rent, a rent freeze and a winter eviction ban, which we welcome, but it also included having rail fares, capping bus fares, a £100 water bill rebate, writing off school meal debts, topping up the Scottish Welfare Fund and establishing a business hardship fund to help keep small businesses going. Now, I know the First Minister will say that the Scottish Government has to find the money. That is why I welcome an emergency budget review, but it has to be an open, genuine and transparent one. So in recognising the national emergency, open up the books to all parties and let's have a Team Scotland approach to actually using the powers of this parliament to confront the cost of living crisis and help people here in Scotland. First Minister. We'll engage on that basis and I'm sure the Deputy First Minister will be happy uh, to have open discussions with any party uh, about how we meet this challenge, as long uh, as the starting point for that discussion is accepting the reality. If we want to spend more on anything uh, this year, as all of us, I think, do, that money has to be found elsewhere in our uh, budget. On some of the things Anna Sarwar has suggested, we will consider everything in good faith. But, you know, take bus fares, for example. Uh, around half of the Scottish population don't pay for bus travel already. Uh, nobody under 22, nobody uh, over 60. Uh, so that is a sign of how we're using uh, the powers of this parliament. In terms of uh, increasing uh, money, I know Labour called for that to be in the uh, tenant hardship fund, but we've doubled the fuel insecurity fund. Uh, we have committed to increasing the budget for discretionary housing payments. Of course, uh, we are extending free school meals beyond any other government in the UK. And the Scottish 
child uh, payment, uh, once the extensions announced earlier this week take effect, that will deliver uh, £1,300 in support for every eligible child uh, under the age of 16. Again, that doesn't exist anywhere else in the UK. We are using our powers and we will continue uh, to do them. And let me just uh, share some reflections from somebody else well known to Anna Sarwar uh, this week. Uh, this week's programme for government announced by the First Minister was a creative and coherent response to the poverty pandemic we are all facing. Uh, and credit where it's due, the SNP are being upfront and on the front foot in explaining what is happening to the public finances. These are comments from Kezia Dugdale, one of Anas Sarwar's predecessors as Scottish Labour leader. We now move to constituency and general supplementaries and I call Christine Graham. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. First Minister, as you're aware, this is International as well as National Suicide Prevention Week. Without scaremongering, inflationary pressures, both domestic and business, may very well push some folk to the brink. What measures can the Scottish Government take to help desperate people, liaising, for example, with organisations such as the Samaritans, whom I commend for all they do? First Minister. Can I thank Christine Graham for raising uh, an extremely important issue. The cost of living crisis, of course, uh, coming so quickly on the back of the COVID uh, crisis is having an impact uh, on the mental health of many people across the country. Uh, the Scottish Government will continue to do all we can, uh, working with third sector organisations like Samaritans, who do uh, such a fantastic uh, job in this area, but also continuing to invest in mental health uh, services. And this is something that is going to continue to be a priority uh, for the foreseeable future and I'm sure much beyond that. Finlay Carson. Uh, the First Minister will be aware of the worrying news of the possible closure of Rowan Glen yoghurt factory in my constituency with the potential loss of 50 jobs. Uh, this would be hugely sig a sig significant loss of jobs in the rural area and could result in the loss of a well-known and respected brand located in the heart of Scotland's milkfield. I appreciate that businesses across Scotland are facing extraordinary pressure, particularly with energy costs. However, given the importance of the dairy industry and more wide, widely the food and drink sector to Galloway, would the First Minister assure the workforce and other stakeholders that our government and its agencies are prepared to look at extraordinary solutions, think out of the box and be proactive in exploring every opportunity to give the loyal and skilled workforce the platform to continue production of their much-loved and valued products? First Minister. Uh, yes, I will, I will uh, give that assurance. That is the approach uh, we always take uh, when businesses are in difficulty. I was uh, certainly very concerned to hear that Dale Farm Group is holding a consultation over uh, the proposed closure of the Rowan Glen dairy factory in Newton-Stewart. And I know that this will be a very difficult time uh, for the company's staff and for their families. Uh, the people affected uh, by this development are, of course, everybody's immediate priority. And the government will do everything in our power to help those affected, uh, including through our PACE initiative. Uh, I can say that South of Scotland Enterprise has, has held discussions with the company this week and is working closely with them to investigate all areas of potential assistance so that it can uh, provide help to try to mitigate the need for any job losses. And I encourage the Dale Farm Group to explore all available options to secure the site's future and for redeploying any affected staff uh, to help minimise the impact on the workforce. And I know that the Business Minister has spoken with local MSPs already um, and will take steps to ensure that they are kept updated. Sarah Boyack. Thank you, Presiding Officer. 
Uh, First Minister, um, I am concerned about the E. coli outbreaks we are experiencing in nurseries in Musselburgh, and my colleague Martin Whitfield raised concerns about the outbreaks in Haddington. In the guidance notes they received, families were told that under the Public Health Act they were required to isolate, but the formal exclusion letter they received 13 days later gave contradictory advice, so families have had no help despite their loss of earnings. So what action is the Scottish Government taking in response to these outbreaks of E. coli, and will it look to put in place a loss of earnings scheme to support those families who have borne the brunt of this debacle? First Minister. Um, can I thank Sarah Boyett for raising this issue? Obviously, I'm very uh, well aware of the E. coli outbreaks and, and share her concern about this. Public Health Scotland uh, will not only be monitoring the situation, uh, but also taking or advising all appropriate steps. In terms of the particular issue she has raised about contradictory information, if she can make that available to my office or to the Office of the Health Secretary, uh, I'm very happy to give an undertaking to look into that as quickly as possible and come back to her with more detail once I've had the opportunity to do so. Bill Kidd. Thank you very much, President Officer. Um, yesterday, at Prime Minister's questions, we heard Liz Truss advocating her belief that nuclear power and now fracking have a role in abating the energy crisis. Now, I know that the commitment of the Tories to transformational changes needs to achieve net zero is wafer thin, just as I know that the Scottish Government's position in these matters is clear. So can I therefore ask the First Minister what her response is to the Prime Minister's comments? Thank you. First Minister. Well, firstly, uh, let me take the opportunity to reaffirm uh, the Scottish Government's position on fracking, and this is a devolved uh, matter. Our position is unchanged. We do not intend to grant licences uh, for fracking. Uh, we do not think that is the solution uh, to the crisis that is currently uh, faced. In fact, uh, let me quote someone else. No amount of shale uh, gas would be enough to lower the European uh, price. Uh, that is, of course, the new Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, speaking earlier uh, this year. Uh, similarly, our position is unchanged on nuclear. We do not support uh, new nuclear, uh, certainly not with existing uh, technology. The reality is uh, Scotland uh, has vast potential in renewables. Uh, offshore and onshore uh, wind can already be generated more cheaply than gas-fired power or nuclear power. That is where we need to focus our efforts, and that's exactly what the Scottish Government is going to do. Oliver Mundell. Thank you, President Officer. I would kindly ask the First Minister uh, to uh, not seek to politicise my family life, uh, just as I would never seek to do so when it comes to hers. I I have received reports from NHS whistleblowers in Dumfries and Galloway that paramedics attending a call-out in the past week were told, having urgently requested a doctor, um, as required under the Mental Health uh, Act, that there was no on-call doctor available in the region. This comes on top of concerns being raised about unsafe staffing levels at DGRI and allegations of bullying. First Minister, this is completely unacceptable. My constituents are worried. NHS staff are sounding alarm bells. What steps can the government take to make sure our NHS is functioning safely and meeting basic health needs? First Minister. Uh, firstly, um, on Oliver Mandel's first point, uh, while I'm not sure there's any aspect of my life that the Tories wouldn't seek to politicise if they, uh, they thought they, they could, I genuinely, I genuinely wish, wish him well um, and uh, do that in, in all sincerity. On the very serious question he has 
uh, raised. Uh, obviously, the health service is operating under extreme uh, pressure and the health secretary and the government is acting to support the health service as it recovers uh, from COVID and uh, that applies to all aspects of health care from ambulance waiting times through to accident emergency uh, to outpatient and uh, inpatient waiting times and seeking to support our staff in that process as well. In terms of the specific uh, serious issue that has been raised, uh, if more detail can be provided uh, to my office and to the health secretary, uh, we will look into the specific of that uh, and reply to Oliver Mundell as soon as possible. Alex Rowley. Thank you, President Officer. The First Minister will be aware of the Sunday Mail investigation showing the use of private agency nursing in NHS is spiralling out of control. But can the First Minister understand the frustration of hard-working and exhausted nurses when these same agencies put out recruitment adverts saying they will pay nurses the rate that nurses deserve meaning much higher than NHS pay. Will the Scottish Government commit today to a fair pay for all NHS workers that we all clapped for during COVID and who are holding our NHS, to NHS together under significant pressure? First Minister. Uh, thank you, President Officer. Firstly, uh, spend on agency staff in the NHS is a tiny, tiny fraction of the overall NHS budget. Secondly, the majority of temporary staffing actually comes from the NHS staff bank, uh, and those are NHS staff on NHS contracts at NHS uh, rates of pay. Um, in terms of NHS uh, pay, I agree with the member, uh, and I think that is evidenced in the fact that Agenda for Change NHS staff in Scotland are already better paid uh, than they are in other parts of the UK, because we take so seriously our obligation to reward them properly. Uh, we are in an extremely uh, difficult financial times, and that has been set out uh, very clearly to the Chamber this week. Uh, NHS negotiations around pay are ongoing. Uh, but just as was the case uh, with other public sector workers, we want to ensure that our NHS staff get the fairest possible deal. And I know the uh, Health Secretary takes that extremely seriously in these negotiations. Question number three, Gillian Mackay. To ask the First Minister what further steps the Scottish Government will take to support tenants facing the cost of living crisis. First Minister. Uh, the impacts of the cost of living crisis are being felt by all households and uh, disproportionately impact people on the lowest incomes and that of course uh, can include tenants. Uh, therefore, as announced this week, we will introduce emergency legislation to deliver a moratorium on evictions and a rent freeze until at least the 31st of March next year. Uh, we're also extending the tenant grant fund and investing an additional £5 million in discretionary housing payments, increasing our total financial support to over £88 million for housing support that mitigates UK government policy like the bedroom tax, the benefit cap and local housing allowance. Uh, this Parliament does not yet have the levers we desperately need to respond fully to the cost of living crisis. Therefore, we will also continue to urge the UK Government to comprehensively and urgently take the actions needed to combat it. Julian Mackay. I thank the First Minister for that welcome response. Does she agree with me that the ambition she outlined in the programme for government to introduce a rent freeze and a halt to evictions puts the Scottish Government far ahead of anywhere else in the UK in protecting tenants? That this commitment should rightly be seen as a central part of our far-reaching programme of reform outlined in the New Deal for Tenants, which is being led by my Green colleague Patrick Harvey as Minister for Tenants' Rights, and that our shared commitment shows the value of political cooperation in developing detailed, workable and robust protections for tenants. 
First Minister. Uh, yes, I uh, do agree with all of that. It is a, a statement of fact uh, that the announcement this week puts us uh, on this issue, uh, as on so many other issues, uh, ahead of any other part of the UK. In fact, I uh, saw the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, uh, comment on Tuesday uh, that he wished he had the powers uh, to do uh, something similar. Um, I think it is also uh, an important commitment that will help to ease the cost pressures that people are, are facing and it is therefore very important in that context. And yes, I absolutely agree uh, that it is an example of what can be achieved uh, when parties come together constructively uh, to work together in the interests of the people of Scotland. Um, and that's what the SNP uh, and the Greens are doing. Um, and this is one very good example of many uh, of that constructive joint working. Elena Whittam. Paul Johnson, the director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, told the BBC that the support package from the UK government would mean that the majority of the money will go to better off people who use more energy and that it was very poorly targeted. Can I ask the First Minister what her views are on this assessment and does she agree with me that nothing currently proposed by the Tories goes far enough to ameliorate this deepening crisis for people and businesses? Thank you. And Ms Whittam's question wasn't related wholly to the substantive questions. I'd be grateful if the First Minister could address it very briefly. Um, well, I, I share the concerns that we have a new Prime Minister who doesn't think redistribution is important and that she doesn't think there's anything unfair about giving more help to the better off than to uh, the, the worst off. But my main concern, and it is relevant uh, to rents because that is relevant to the overall cost crisis in what has been announced today, is that it does not freeze energy bills. We need a proper freeze in energy bills and I think it's important to continue to press the UK Government to do that. Mercedes Vialba. Thank you. Um, when myself and Living Rent first raised the need for an emergency rent freeze with the First Minister back in April, the average rent in Scotland was £780. It now stands at £840. That's at least a 10% increase in just five months. Labour proposed a rent freeze in June, but SNP and Green MSPs teamed up with the Tories to block this. Their political choice to unnecessarily delay support for a rent freeze led to further financial hardship for tenants. So in fairness to tenants, will the First Minister explore backdating the rent freeze to June? First Minister. Firstly, Presiding Officer, as has been well canvassed and rehearsed in this chamber, uh, there were very real uh, reasons why that amendment could not be supported. As I said to Anna Sarwan, I, I hope it is something that everybody who wants to see this policy uh, successfully implemented will accept. Uh, we need to make sure uh, that it can withstand any legal uh, challenge. Uh, it is also unlikely to be the case uh, that that test would be met uh, if legislation is applied uh, retrospectively, and I think that's an important point uh, to take account of. Uh, but the, can I, I make a final point, uh, Presiding Officer, which would be to pay tribute uh, to Mercedes uh, Vialba for the work she has done on this issue. I think it has been important. I think it is to her great credit, and I want to thank her uh, for that uh, because uh, we have taken account of many of the points that she has made uh, in reaching the decision that we announced to Parliament earlier. This week. Thank you. Question number four, Fergus Ewing. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister, in light of the loss of life as a result of road traffic incidents on the A9 over the summer on sections of the road that have not been duelled, what plans the Scottish Government has to publish uh, a timetable setting out when the duelling of the A9 and the A96 will be delivered? 
First Minister. Well, can I firstly express my sympathies to everyone affected by the loss of a loved one uh, and to anyone who has been injured on our roads uh, over this summer. Road safety is of paramount importance uh, to this government, indeed to everyone, and our road safety framework is backed by £21 million of funding. Uh, work is continuing uh, on the E9. The section between Tomerton and Moy is currently in procurement and it is expected the construction contract will be awarded later this year. Design work is progressing on the rest of the programme with the statutory process well underway for seven, seven of the remaining eight schemes. Uh, the evidence-based review on fully duelling uh, the A96 between Inverness and Aberdeen will report by the end of this year, and we will take forward enhancements on that corridor that improve connectivity between surrounding towns, tackles congestion and addresses safety and environmental issues. Fergus Ewing. Uh, I thank the First Minister for her answer and join with her in sending our thoughts to the families of those who have sadly lost their lives. Uh, I would emphasise that my constituents believe, they, they sincerely believe, that more lives are lost on single carriageway sections because unlike dual carriageways, there is no central reservation separating opposing flows of traffic and hence the risk of head-on collisions is not reduced. Therefore, will the First Minister now provide reassurance and confidence to my constituents and also to the civil engineering sector by publishing revised and detailed timetables for delivery of our pledges, our long-standing pledges on duelling of the A9 and of the A96 starting from Inverness to Aldern, including the Nairn Bypass, thereby helping to save lives in the future? First Minister. Well, I, I won't uh, repeat all of my uh, first answer about the processes that are underway to uh, deliver exactly uh, that clarity. I certainly share Fergus Ewing's concerns in terms of safety um, and indeed that is why safety is of such paramount importance to this government. As he will know, uh, procurement is a complex process in which there are uh, many rules which must be adhered to, uh, but I can assure him that the work to determine the most suitable procurement option on the E9 is ongoing and an update will be provided when this work is completed. Uh, turning to the E96 Inverness to Nairn and the Nairn Bypass, uh, we do need to complete the statutory approval process before setting a firm programme for delivery. However, we are continuing to progress at the preparation stages with a view to completing that process as quickly as possible. Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The consultation referred to didn't offer an option of duelling the A96 between Huntley and Aberdeen. First Minister, can the people in the North East take it that this means duelling this stretch has been quietly dropped? First Minister. Uh, there is no change to uh, what we set out in the Butte House Agreement uh, and in terms of the processes that are underway on that, uh, I have already uh, given detail on that in response uh, to my answers to Fergus Ewing. Question number five, Craig Hoy. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First uh, Minister what assessment the Scottish Government has made of overtime in Scotland's NHS. First Minister. Uh, our health service is the largest employer in the country, uh, with nearly 180,000 staff, uh, many more than was the case uh, when this Government took office. Uh, paid overtime accounts for a, a tiny fraction of the total hours worked in our National Health Service. Like most organisations, health boards make limited use of paid overtime to help manage unplanned absences. Alongside the NHS staff bank, it can also be used to ensure that uh, care for patients uh, is delivered. Uh, we are continuing to build on 10 consecutive years of increasing NHS staffing, um, and that's why we're investing £11 million over this parliament for, for both domestic and international recruitment. 
Uh, last weekend, we discovered that hard-working NHS staff have put in 11 million hours of overtime in the last five years as a result of SNP workforce failures. They are burnt out and they are worn out, and the present situation is simply not sustainable. How can it be right that hard-pressed doctors and nurses are being forced to work millions of extra hours to make up for her failings in our NHS? First Minister. Well, it is worth uh, noting what we are uh, speaking about here in terms of the reported sum of money. It is less uh, than 0.7% uh, of total NHS uh, workfor uh, workforce spending. Uh, of course, it will be the case uh, that staff work overtime. It will also be the case that health boards make use of agency and, to a greater extent, uh, NHS bank uh, staffing. Uh, but in terms of the record of uh, this government, there are, I think, 28,000 uh, more staff working working in our NHS now than we, when we took office. Uh, we are, have higher staffing per head of population uh, than in England, where the Conservatives, of course, uh, are in uh, power significantly higher. And, of course, we've got the best paid staff anywhere in the UK. So we'll continue to build on that progress and continue to support the staff who do such a fantastic job in our National Health Service. Question number six, Pauline McNeill. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government plans to take in the light of reported figures showing that sexual and violent crime in Scotland has risen significantly over the last five years. First Minister. Uh, crime, including violent crime, has fallen under this government. Uh, however, recently uh, there has been a rise in recorded sexual and violent crimes, and that uh, may in part uh, be because women are feeling uh, now more confident to report such crimes to the police. Uh, we're taking forward a range of activity uh, to reduce violence and challenging behaviours and attitudes, which we know can lead to violence against women and girls. We've invested £18.5 million in specialist advocacy support for survivors of gender-based violence through the Victim-Centred Approach Fund, and the Delivering Equally Safe Fund is providing £19 million per year to support projects focused on early intervention, prevention and support. Additionally, the Criminal Justice Reform Bill will uh, further improve the experiences of victims in the justice system building on the recommendations of Lady Dorian. Polly McNeill. May I begin by welcoming the fact that the Scottish Government has made justice such an important part of the programme for government. And I know the First Minister agrees that underlying these horrendous figures is a huge societal, in fact, global problem of male violence against women that in Scotland we need to tackle with urgency. But it isn't helping victims who come forward is the length of time that it can take to come to court, in bearing in mind, as the First Minister said, predominantly affecting women and children disproportionately. But the government recently extended time limits in the justice system in court cases. So, for example, in the preparation of the Crown case for the High Court, it used to be 80 days, it's now 260 days. So some victims of sexual assault and rape have been dropping cases because they can't bear to wait the years it sometimes takes to go to trial. So as the First Minister, what can she do to make sure that month on month those delays are coming down as we go towards 2025? And what kind of reassurance can the First Minister provide to victims of sexual crime that they won't have to wait years for justice? First Minister. Well, can I uh, say firstly, and I, I know Pauline McNeill uh, does uh, accept this. Uh, I, I agree entirely uh, with the sentiment of her question. The trauma 
uh, that anyone who is a victim of uh, sexual crime or domestic abuse uh, goes through is only compounded uh, if there are delays uh, in bringing the perpetrator to justice. So there is a real uh, seriousness of intent on the part of the government. Uh, the question was, what can we do? Uh, we need to ensure that the Crown Office is supported and resourced uh, to tackle those backlogs and bring those waiting times uh, down, and uh, we are determined to do that. Um, I know this is uh, something that is also extremely important to the Lord Advocate, um, and uh, I'm sure she would be uh, willing uh, to speak to Pauline McNeill and indeed provide uh, further information to MSPs about the work that has been done in the Crown Office to tackle uh, these issues. Uh, so if it is of interest, uh, I will certainly convey uh, that to the Lord Advocate. It's entirely up to her, of course, uh, what information she chooses uh, to share. Uh, but I want to assure Pauline McNeill and I want to assure the Chamber and indeed the wider public uh, of how serious an issue uh, we consider this to be and of the work we will continue to do to deliver improvements. Thank you. Um, that, that concludes First Minister's questions. And I will say at this point, colleagues, that I am aware that a statement has been made at Westminster, at Westminster on the health of Her Majesty the Queen. I will, of course, monitor developments and keep members updated over the course of the day. But my, and I am sure the thoughts of all in Parliament, are with Her Majesty at this time. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions and we will shortly move on to members' business. <laughs>